Welcome to the Forest Educator Podcast. I'm Ricardo Sierra. Before we start today's episode, I wanted to just jump in and say that as a little bit of housekeeping, I do have an email list and a, like a newsletter that comes out usually about once a month, sometimes twice a month. That just gives anyone that's in this forest educator community a chance to find out about upcoming programs. I am starting a webinar series that I'm going to be doing like every month. I'll be doing a free webinar on a specific topic. You're going to get a chance to preview some of that and also maybe have input on to what topics you might want to talk about where we could go more in depth. And what's nice about a webinar series is that it can be very interactive. So during that hour, you're going to get a chance to talk about some of the issues that we have discussed in here, like the big questions facing forest education in the next couple of years or, and right now, or talking about staff training or marketing or whatever other topics that are really important to all of you. But it's really an opportunity for me to be able to hear your voices, your opinions, and hear your questions. That webinar series is going to be coming up, and the best way for you to find out about those and not miss any of them is to go to my website, foresteducator.com, and then click at the bottom of the page. There's a newsletter registration link. It also will give you access to like the bonus content for the podcast. So anytime I do an episode that has something in there, like I did one that was about the 10 things I always bring with me on a forest program, or I have a pricing and valuation worksheet. I've got a lot of good things in there and I'll be adding to that throughout the year. You will get access to that info as well. And you'll also get like 10% off any of my forest educator online programs if you get there, because you'll see a code that you can use and put in. So go there and sign up and that will get you into this community where you'll be able to get notifications and find out what's going on a little bit before uh, the rest of the pack. And also just because that way I can contact you rather than you having to remember to go and check the website and see what's new. Check that out. And I really appreciate that. So that's it for this housekeeping. This is the first one I think I've done on this podcast in almost nine months. On with the show. So today we're going to be talking about community building. And community building is a yin and yang for me as a business owner, as a visionary business building forest educator type person. Because as I grew up as a child, I actually have lived in a number of different types of communities where I got to live in and be part of something that, as always, there are good things and bad things about communities, just like there is with everything else. I'm going to just talk a little bit about that. And we're going to start right off with, though, with the good. Let's talk about the, the beneficial aspects of building community in your program and in your forest education experience or services or whatever. When we are doing our programs, we're working with people, right? So people in general are 
for the most part, fairly community minded. Like we like to come to a class and work side by side. I, I run a timber framing program that, you know, basically is, hey, come learn all these incredibly powerful uh, skills of learning how to use chisels and saws and mallets and moving giant beams and cutting it a certain way and assembling it all, lifting it together. And it's a pretty intensive program. But what's so interesting about it is that the men that come to this program and women as well, they often will just go on and on about how good it felt to work with really wonderful participants and that the sense of community that's built and the joy that they have sharing stories while they're chopping wood out in the barnyard and working working on sharpening chisels together and moving beams together and supporting each other. It, they will make a note and say, this is just really special. This was a really one of the more amazing things that, that I've experienced in a long time. And these are all, for the most part, strangers coming together. And so I've seen that happen with my timber framing programs, which isn't really a forest program per se, but I've seen it in my wilderness survival programs and trainings. I've seen it in some of the school, school group programs, forest educator programs, where essentially these people come from all different backgrounds, and, but they have a shared interest. And what they are doing is coming there with maybe the idea of, I'm going to learn these wilderness skills, so I don't need anybody, and I'm going to go in the woods, and I'm going to survive, and all that. But when they get there, they're just like, oh my gosh, this is the greatest thing, to sit around our campfire and cook something over the fire or carve a, a new craft or tool and making things and going on a walk down by the river or going like the there's an incredible joy that you have when you actually get a taste of working in a community working in a circle of people and i think that catches a lot of people off guard most of the time when someone shows up for a timber framing class they're like i want to build a house for me and my wife or i want to build a barn or i want to build this or i want to start a business or whatever it is they all have these intellectual ideas of what they want to do which are awesome. And the same is true for wilderness survival people. They're like, I want to know how to take care of myself. They've got it all intellectually figured out. But then when they get there, there's this something else that happens. There's this like other ingredient. They're like, whoa, what's this? Oh, we're all going to walk down and go tracking for a little while down in the gravel pit or something. Like They're like, oh, that, this is really, this feels really fun. Hey, wow, I don't even know what's going on, but I really like this. And it creeps up on them. And at the end of two or three days, they're just, they've opened up in a way that they weren't expecting or, and other people are opening up and they're just going, wow, this is, that's really cool. And it creates a sense of magic uh, that you really can't, how do I say this? You can't force it, but you can invite it and you invite it by how we are as instructors, as leaders, as staff. It's like how we relate to each other, how we relate to as a, if you have a group of staff, it's like how you relate to your staff really impacts and role models this. And it also impacts us as how we talk to each other and how do we carry ourselves. 
and not push anything, not force anything, but just allow it to happen. And that builds community in a program. And that is something that I don't think we typically really emphasize that when we are doing forest education program marketing. We just are like, oh yeah, have our kids sign up. Kids will get these benefits. They'll be resilient. We give them, we give everybody the list of all the stuff that everybody else shares, but we don't necessarily really feature the part that really matters just because it's a little bit ephemeral. We can't necessarily guarantee that it's going to happen. You never know. You really, you do, you hope for the best, but in a lot of ways, that is the thing that will get people to come back. And that will reinforce for them this feeling of this is valuable to me. This is really important to me. I like this feeling. I, this is what I've been craving. It's like this sort of secret ingredient, so to speak. And community building is part of this. So within our programs, you have community building aspects. And then there's also a community building thing that happens outside of your program that's maybe part of your offering, your local community offerings. And when I say local, sometimes you put together something and you go, hey, we're going to do this thing. And sometimes people travel three three hours to get there to be able to be part of it because they just don't have that many places where they can go where it's offered in their own neighborhood, in their own backyard, in their own three-hour <laughs> radius. And that's how lacking these types of community events are in the world. And being together and gathering as a community for different reasons is very powerful. It provides a sense of, hey, who's who and who who's around and who are people we know, people that we might want to know that are all gathered who have a similar interest and passion and desire to connect or to be part of something important. So there's something really important to offering community events, community gatherings, community experiences. Um, But let's talk about what they are. So like on one level, there's a community event that can literally just be, hey, we're all going to have a potluck. You can center your community event at a very base level, which is, hey, we're going to have a community potluck. Everybody bring a dish. We're going to have a good time. We'll have a campfire. Maybe somebody's going to be bringing a guitar or two out. Um, There'll be some live music from people if anybody wants to come out and do that. And we're going to have some cool lanterns and we're going to have some, somebody will be there to like, hey, maybe take the kids and go for a walk down by the creek and the parents can all sit around and, and visit and connect or whatever. And then you get to set the tone of whatever that is. So you can say, hey, no alcohol, or you can say, hey, don't bring dogs, or you can say, hey, whatever it is that you might need for your program or your community or whatever. That is, in a lot of cases, something really awesome because you're just providing a space for something to happen, and then people show up, and you, if you get the word out, whatever, and people like the idea of it, then there's this sort of cool organic thing that might start happening. Another type of community gathering or experience is around something that might be an activity that you do that would involve maybe like 
timber framing wise, maybe we're raising a timber frame. We're going to be raising a frame. Anybody wants to come and help us raise it and share in that process and be here and celebrate that with us, please come on out. So you could do that as a weekend program or something and just invite people to come out and say, hey, you want to camp out or you want to stay nearby? Come on over. We'll be here for two days. Bring your tools. These are the types of things we want to do. And there'll be space for kids or maybe there isn't. I don't know. But you can set up something like that. You can do that and do it as part of tree planting. You can do it with firewood. You can do it with planting and getting the garden ready if you have that type of community. If your community is local and you have a fairly large reach where you're able to invite people who are like-minded, those people can come and, and check it out. The longer it is, typically, the less people will come because they might feel like it's too big of a commi commitment. So people are busy, so they don't necessarily want to go and be there and just be like, oh, I'm going to be planting trees with three people for six hours. Like it might be just way too long. So it's in the beginning of you, if you're in the beginning stages of you building your program and community building and all that, it's oftentimes nice to start with two hours, start with a, a two hour thing. Hey, we're going to come out. We're going to split some firewood, whatever. We'll be here all afternoon. You're invited to stay, but this is when we're all going to get together and divvy up some different chores and be part of that. And sometimes people like to come out and just get the experience and just be able to meet other people. Oftentimes, if we do anything like that, I usually try to combine it with a potluck at the end, because then that way people could come help out for a few hours. Maybe they're going to work on some trails or stack firewood or, I don't know, move some logs or whatever it is get everything ready. Maybe somebody's painting a hallway, but you get those little projects. And then at the end of that, at the end of say two or three hours, or at the end of the day, you have this really nice potluck thing, or maybe you get like a bunch of pizzas. And if your organization is really appreciative of the work and can afford to buy dinner, buy food for everyone, then that's great too. So that's more of a project or service oriented thing. And if people see your organization as something that the work you do is being really helpful. Many times they're willing to come in and help out with that. And when people come out and put their, their time and their sweat, they put sweat equity into your work and stuff, they're really checking you out. And they also are saying, hey, we really like you guys and we appreciate you. And so it can help you with fundraising. That's a good time to actually have a poster or two that just says, hey, we're fundraising for this new cabin, or hey, we're fundraising to send three kids to camp, or we're fundraising for whatever, a new, we're going to fix up this cabin so that we can have uh, another staff person stay here. Whatever it is you're doing, sometimes people will come. And in my mind, I used to always think, oh, if people are going to come and work with me for free, why would they even want to then give? Obviously, they're working, but you never know. Sometimes people will come and just go, hey, I had a really good time planting a garden with y'all. And hey, here's 500 bucks or here's $100 or here's $50. And any of that can go a long way to supporting what you're doing. So be prepared for that possibility. I would have that for every event if you can. And I'm saying that not to tell you, but also to remind myself, because there's lots of things that I've done for community building that I haven't done that just because it's been like, I'm the guy 
planning and then supervising and then going from group to group, make sure they have everything they need and doing everything. So it's like the last thing on my list. So I always forget, but my wife, Trista will sometimes jump on that and she does an incredible job and she's awesome. It's helpful to have a team to do these programs, these community building programs. It's really important. So a third type of gathering is a community gathering where you're doing some kind of celebration or an observance of something. So for example, some people will have a solstice gathering and the solstice gathering in the summer or the winter might involve like having a bonfire so that you have to build a bonfire. Someone has to light it and then you decide what do else do you want to do? Do you want to have some kind of food? Do you want to have some people singing songs? Do you want to do I don't want to say ceremony because ceremony is a little bit heavy and charged in some ways based on depending on what you do. But some people will do like a, what they call an evergreen spiral where children will come and walk down the spiral and put a light a candle at the center and then come back and put their candle in the evergreen spiral to light it up and make this like beautiful thing. And sometimes there's music and sometimes there's a story that goes with that. Depending on what your event is, you will you get a chance to set it up to either be for adults or for children or for families or all three. And it's a really nice way to um, spend some time where you're not in a program where you're selling anything and you're just inviting people to come and then people can donate if they want because they had a good time. And it's something that feeds a lot of people and it gets them to see what it is you're doing and get a taste of it in a non-commercial way. Community offerings might include bringing someone in who's doing a book signing or like an evening lecture or program, something that is very either free or almost no cost, where you're just offering something for people to come out and be part of. Some of the celebrations that you might have as well could be centered around the seasons, observing the seasons, full moons, whatever you decide is important to you. Another aspect to this is also if you do anything that is, oh, how do I say this? Like it's like an emotional community, like a community gathering to maybe share in the grief of the loss of somebody important in our culture or in our community or in our family. And so sometimes I've seen programs where they'll say, hey, we're going to have a circle for anybody that has lost someone this year. And there's going to be a fire and there's going to be somebody there to like talk. And we're going to get a chance to share as a community and support each other and have that feeling of we're going to recognize that there's this loss and we're going to support that. The other side of it can be the celebrating anybody that's had a new addition to the family, like birth and children or a new job or do celebrate. Like you can do almost anything that is really meaningful milestones in our communities and have celebrations. You can have observances. You can have healing retreats. All of those things can fall under community events, community experiences that we offer. And community building happens in that because we're sharing something that is different than just our everyday lives. 
So we're getting an opportunity to connect with people in a way that's a little bit more meaningful, a little bit deeper, a little bit less casual, or I don't know, a lot of times in our world, we live in a world where we're it's dominated by transactional experiences. So in other words, a lot of people that I know in my local community, I know through financial transactions. So I'm like, I know people at the post office because that's where I mail stuff from. I know people from the gas station convenience store, and I know those people because I go in there and I buy milk and <laughs> gas and whatever else that I need that I didn't get at the store. And then so in other words, it's like a commercial exchange. And then from that, you build, you begin to build a little bit of a community sense, but it really usually doesn't go too far. It can, but it oftentimes doesn't. So when we have something like a fire and people are sitting around and they're drinking hot chocolate or tea or whatever, and we're, and they're sharing about what were some real high experiences for their lives this year. They're digging in a little bit more. They're not like just going, hey, you're getting some more milk. Good for you, man. Hey, be careful. It's icy out there. It's just you get the opportunity to go a little bit deeper. And I'll be honest, if you do community building and you offer things that are very different from what our everyday experiences are, many times that is not always a good entry level place for new people to come in and see. So, for example, if somebody comes in and they just want to check you out for an hour or two and just get to know and get feel of what you're what you guys are all about that's a good time to come out and i don't know buy a christmas tree or buy support everybody by having a little sale with t-shirts in your camps or your shop or maybe help in the garden with the we're hey we're going to be harvesting apples and making applesauce whatever you're going to do the less or the the least amount of investiture, it helps them to get the feel of it. You don't necessarily want to invite somebody you don't know anything about and then go, hey, do you want to come to our really powerful and emotional and cathartic grief circle or nature study or something where they're jumping in and they're going like, whoa, these people are really into it. I'm, I am not into what I'm out of my element. And then it can be a negative experience for them or definitely sorts people really fast. So you want to ease people into those things and make sure you screen people so that they really know whatever it is you're doing so that they can come and bring the right presence there. And a presence like not Christmas presents or holiday presents, but like that they're going to bring the right mindset and the right value or, or understanding and participatory experience and energy. Anyway, those types of experiences are, all of these things are powerful and they are all part of what community building can be. And there's probably a whole lot more that we could offer. These are, there's a, there's one or two things that I'm going to say about this before I dive into a couple other aspects of this. But one of it is the thing that I can say is that when you are there at and running something like this, and people find and see you and take the time to drive out to your place or if you're at a festival or wherever you're at and doing stuff, people will pick out and go, hey, I really like who you guys are. And they will decide that very quickly based on the flyer they see, the post they see on social media. They'll see it on the branding part aspects of your Instagram or 
whatever it is, they will decide very quickly, oh, I like that. I'm in. I like what this is all about. And they'll also sort themselves out and go, yeah, that's probably a little too woo for me. Or yeah, I don't really know what these people are all about or whatever. Not that it's necessarily negative, but just saying, hey, I'm going to choose to go a different way. These, these community experiences are really powerful because they can attract people to you that you normally, that normally wouldn't necessarily come to your, like say you run a forest school and there's somebody that goes, hey, I'm 62 years old. I don't have any little kids. I have nobody that's going to come to a forest school. My granddaughters are 15 or whatever. So they're just, yeah, there's really nothing there. There's no reason for me to be associated with you. But if you have a winter bird watching day that's just open to anybody in the community and they like birds and they get together and they go, hey, I like you guys. Hey, I want to support you guys any way I can. So it's really a nice way to build your world, maybe do a little bit of networking with the, so those folks and inviting them into your circle to support you as well as just having a stronger local presence. It can also be opportunities if you're doing things like, say you have a program for very young children, and then you have a number of, say, open to the community events that are puppet shows or a little mini craft program for very young children. It can be a way for families to come in and check you out for a very low cost and then immediately decide, oh my gosh, I want to get in there. Can you put me on the waiting list for next September? And so that's a really positive thing that you can do. That will have a oftentimes a good return on your investment. However, you do need to follow up. It's really important if you're using your community event as a tool like that, it's helpful to find out who's there, get their email, get their name, get to know them a little bit. So you need to have somebody there who can then remember who their name is and then connect with them like within the next week or so and just send a quick email out and say, hey, really appreciated you coming out. It was great to get to know you. Hey, let me know if there's a, if you have any questions or whatever. And that, hey, join our, our email newsletter if you want to know when the next one is. So the idea is that you have to take a little bit extra step. If you don't, if they come and you're really busy, which is, this is the story of my life, where I'm just like running around like a chicken with my head cut off. And then I never follow up or whatever. Sometimes people can be a little bit like, yeah, they're too busy. They don't really want to get to know me. They don't, they're not necessarily put off, but they're just like, yeah, probably I'm not really going to make a good connection with the people running this program or whatever. So you need to maybe take that extra step to say, hey, thank you. Appreciate you. Tell me a little bit more. Would you want to go get lunch sometime? This is a lot of effort. However, it can it can definitely help you down the road and in in many different little ways if you're willing to do that. And you don't have to do it if you're the educator or whatever, the director. You just need to make sure somebody is. And it's okay to ask them, hey, if you're in a position to, to donate, hey, we'd really appreciate your support if that's one way that you can support, but you could also volunteer and help out at another event or something and be part of our event team. So those are things that when you're, if you're going to do these things, if you can do those three or four extra little things, you will get a much bigger return on your investment. Keep that in mind.
I'm going to just say very clearly, most of the time when I have had work days where I go, hey, I'm going to have a work day and I'm going to see if people want to come out and help. There's a lot of times where having a lot of people around actually gets less work done than it would have been if I had just spent the day working with me or one helper all day long. So these are a lot of work to both set up, get everything ready and do it. It's almost like three times the work. But if you're not doing it just for the work, you're doing it for networking, you're doing it for fundraising, you're doing it for program marketing as an entry level experience, then you're seeing it not as how much firewood can I stack, but you're getting it as, hey, how many people can I get to know? Both young people, older folks, everyone in between, families. So that's how you have to see it. But regardless, the amount of work is considerable. So it helps a lot if you are not doing it totally on your own. And, and if you're going to do these things, you do have to look at it as who's on my team, who's going to, what are all the things we need to do to make this an outstanding experience. And that takes work and that takes time of planning time, making signs and getting all the tools ready and making sure if you're planting trees that you have all the trees already bought and you've got buckets for water. And if you're doing firewood, make sure you've got a bunch of pairs of gloves for people that don't have it. Make sure your wheelbarrow, the tires pumped up or there's all these different things that can make or break you if you're trying to get some things accomplished and also making sure you're going to run something that's going to be awesome. So anyway, I'll just give you an example. Like we did one where we were like, hey, we're going to do a big garden planting thing. This is like 12, 15 years ago. And so we did all this planning for it. And then we had people show up. And then one of my staff whose job it was to like rota till the garden the day before didn't do it for whatever reason. I don't know if it rained or something. And it was like, oh, the soil is going to be all muddy. So didn't do get it done. So then the day where everybody showed up, we're all there getting ready to make rows and mulch everything and start planting. And meanwhile, this person's going back and forth with this really loud, old, rickety rototiller, tilling up all the soil and doing all this, making a huge racket. And so it was like not a good, like relaxing experience that it could have been if that had been done two or three days earlier then it would have made it a lot easier to just spend our time like talking and like shaping the rows and, you know, getting hay. And it would have been this like thing where you could all hear each other think as opposed to this other experience. But it, it, it that's how I learned. And that's why I'm sharing that with you. So doing all the right prep for all these things is considerable. But again, if people have a good experience with you and they don't feel that you're really stressed out, they, it can be tremendously rewarding, but it is like a whole program. It's not, it's not something where they're really there to do everything for you. They're taking part in something and working with you. And those are really different things. Some things that happen when you do this is that sometimes it's a financial thing that really can help you, but other times it just maybe links you to people that you wouldn't normally get links to. Sometimes I've had people come to one of my programs and then just be like, you guys could really use a little tractor. Hey, can I, I have a friend who has a tractor? Can, maybe he can come over and help you do this and this. And then that really helps us out. 
you get access to people who have tools and things and they, because they know a guy that, you know, and know a person who has these other resources, all of a sudden wheels get churning that are beyond my normal circle. And that is really helpful. So just know that in many cases, community type programs, community building is, can be really worth it. But let's flip this over. I've been dreading talking about this because I don't want to turn it into a, this, go down this like, dark rabbit hole. But there is a dark underbelly to community building stuff. I'll say just for the sake of talking about it, that a lot of what happens if people are wanting you to do community events, community celebrations, community experiences, or even to be at your place and live there or work there, where it gets sticky is when people suddenly go, oh my gosh, you guys are offering this really cool thing. What if you offered this thing? What if you offered that? They'll jump into this thing because they're like, this feeds me so much. I need more of this. How do I get more of this? And so what happens is that sometimes those people will want you to run that sort of stuff all the time, not realizing, of course, that these things cost money and it and time and don't you know, contribute that much financially, at least in the beginning, uh, or sometimes ever. But because they need that community feeling, that glue, that energy, they will start to crave that and then they'll push you to have more. And that can feel good at the beginning because you're like, oh, wow, I'm so glad everyone's getting this out of, out of getting such a positive experience. Oh, this feels really good. But then we can then suddenly start to overextend ourselves and then go, oh, okay, let's try to help this person out. Let's try to help these people out. And then next thing you know, we're doing all this free work for everyone and we're not getting anything in return. So you have to have really clear boundaries around this type of experience and to be on the lookout for people who really want other people to create the community experience for them to have it but they are maybe not in a place where they can really give back or really support it. That's where it can get sticky. I, I usually call this the area of what I call unwritten contracts and mismatched values. One of the elements that can get tricky in our programs is when we have certain values that we have as an organization or as a family or as a staff, and people will come to your event and they have different values. For example, you might go to a program and you say, oh, I really, we're vegan and we don't like having dairy products and or meat products or anything like that. Therefore, we're going to do a potluck, but everybody has to bring a vegan dish or something. If people show up and they didn't catch that part, all of a sudden now you have a mismatch and then it can create some types of stress. I, that hasn't really happened for us, but it, can, it could be if you are doing, say, maybe you have a diet that has no restrictions and then you have people that come that are vegan and then they're like, hey, we thought that we thought that you guys were like this. We thought you guys cared about animals and we see that you don't. And so all of a sudden you can get this weird, a weird value, something that wasn't quite clearly stated but was hoped for or expected that you would be like them. I remember being at a camp one time and there was a girl talking about something and 
said some, somebody said, oh, one of the staff at Hawk Circles probably went into town and went to Burger King. And this three of the other kids were like, Hawk Circle staff would never go to Burger King. Are you crazy? This is like when the Burger King was seen as, I don't know if they were buying rainforest beef or I don't know what it was, but it was, there was this whole thing about, oh, is Burger King destroying the rainforest? And I'm not exactly sure all of the details of that, but anyway, at the time, Burger King was like seen as the devil. So they were like Ricardo and his groups and any of the staff, they would never go to Burger King. And I was like, okay, where did I ever say that? That's not on my website. That's not on my brochure. I've never said that. But because these people, these teenagers were like, we love nature. And because we love nature and we know Rick and his staff love nature, therefore Hawk Circle would never go there because I would never go there. But that doesn't mean that we would or wouldn't go. So again, just because we seem to share certain values, unless they're clearly stated, they may not be a match. And so it can get into the weeds sometimes. I don't think I ever confronted, it wasn't something where I went, oh, I got to break that bubble of that one camper and say, or that group of girls and say, hey, actually we do go to Berkeley. <laughs> it's just not, it wasn't necessary. And I'll just be like, hey, I, we love animals and whatever. But the point is that your values of who you are, what you do, you can get people who think they know what your values are when, and then put in their values in place as well without necessarily checking. So it's really good to be clear. If you're going to have a potluck, be clear what you're going to do. If you can be clear, then people can go, I'm in or I'm out. So that way they're not showing up there and going, what? I didn't know you guys we're vegetarians or we're vegans and we didn't know you were going to be pit roasting an, an entire turkey in a pit and we're going to dig it out. <laughs> like that wouldn't be something that they would be really excited about. Whereas at the same time, maybe they would if you if it's done right and sensitively and there's some place for everybody, then it's great. So you have to decide as a leader or your community of educators or your organization how much, who are we going to serve? What are we doing? Why are we doing it? And you have to make sure those things are stated clearly and you need to be super, super good at communicating that, which is very difficult because in today's world, nobody reads, like nobody will read anything. If you have a wall of text on your website, no one's going to sit down and go through all that line by line. You have to bullet point it. You have to make it very clear. Therefore, boom. And you'll still have people show up who will be like, I didn't read any of that. And now I'm upset or something. And that's okay. If somebody gets upset, they'll get over it. But the point is you'll save yourself a lot of hassle if you can be really clear. So these unwritten contracts and rules and so forth can really put a downer on your program, especially if people are coming there and they're wanting something and they're wanting you to provide it. And then their unmet, their need that they have that they really want and were hoping you were going to supply that it doesn't come as high up the, the ladder as they really like it to be. And so there can be disappointment and there can be people being frustrated or feeling you can then leave feeling judged because you didn't do it right or whatever. And those are all things that happen all the time in the world. 
but it can especially be affecting us if we only have like 20 people in the program and two people are like leaving unhappy and then they start complaining about it or whatever. I haven't really had that happen too much with Hawk Circle. But again, if you have clarity as to what is your intent, if you're there to create a safe space for people to celebrate the summer solstice and you're going to be doing this a, a lot of inner work or people are going to write down their hopes and dreams on a piece of birch bark and throw it in the fire like whatever those things are which are all awesome you go and you do all that and you are then very clear and you say yeah this is an alcohol-free experience because we really want to focus on that this hey if you want to go to the bonfire two year two two miles down the road i'm sure there's a Dionysian wine and dancing and people just going, letting it all out. That's awesome too. But you can just be clear that we're not that, that this is not what our thing is. So the more clear you can be, the better. Okay. When you're not clear, that's where any place where the gray areas are that you didn't establish clarity and you didn't shine a light on is where people's unmet needs and expectations will fester and be, and then potentially find uh, purchase. You know what I mean? It'll find a place to take root and then create problems. And it's really also important to then say, Hey, as a group, these are the two things we're going to do a year, or we're going to do one thing a year, or we're going to do five things a year. We're going to do one thing every month. Whatever it is you want to do, whatever you're going to commit to doing, you want to be able to make sure you commit to whatever it is and know that you have to commit to doing it and doing it really well. If you're committing to doing it in a lackadaisical thing and then it falls apart five months into it, you're doing something every month and it's not really held, then the community building part that's about marketing and networking can fall apart. You can have people come there going, hey, I want to come out and donate. And then they realize, oh, you guys are dropping the ball left and right on some of these things. Then they go, hey, I'm out. These people aren't serious. So <laughs> my advice is pick one or two places where you're going to make your stand and then do that really well. Do that where you can really shine do an excellent job, and then you're out. And then have good boundaries and go, yeah, yeah, we could do a solstice and an equinox and an autumn equinox and another winter solstice. We could do and we could do the cross-quarter days and all the stuff. And we're going to do a big Halloween party. And we're going to do this. And we're going to do a lantern walk. And we're going to, like, I'm, I came from a Waldorf background, so I have a lot of the Waldorf festivals and so forth in there. And that's all great. But... You have to know your limit as to what you're going to realistically be able to do. Not what you'd want to do or would love to be able to do in an ideal world, but in today's world where everyone's super busy, you really want to think it through very carefully. You can do it if you start to do it a few times and then you realize people in the community really want it. You can say, all right, if you guys want to do something like that, then we would need to have a committee or, or a group of us that would get together and it would be held not by, say, Hawk Circle, my organization, but it's going to be held by the friends of Hawk Circle and they're going to take care of all the logistics and the marketing and the communication and everything else. And they're going to help make it happen and we're going to have somebody 
from Hog Circle, supporting that, communicating everything really clearly about what's going on. And then it can maybe happen because it's being now held. It's a new community event by the community for the community. But you're no longer like the primary glue that's going to make it all happen. But you're going to create the template for it and then insist that certain elements are there that are make it a really positive and quality type program. So that's difficult to duplicate and to, you know, make happen. But it may work. But oftentimes in a community, people will come in, be part of something, and they're like, hey, I've got really young children and we need these puppet shows and we need these events and they make us feel good. And it's like something we can like really look forward to as a family. And we love that. And so they'll love it and do it, but then they'll back out of it as their kids get older. They'll back out of it in a variety of different ways. And so you're constantly needing new people to come in and help support those things. So that's the trick for a lot of this is that it is somewhat rotate. Like you don't necessarily know if you're going to have 500 people show up for your little, for your holiday thing, or if you're going to have 20. <laughs> so if you buy like apple cider supplies for 300 people and 50 people show up, you're going to be like, uh Oh, I guess we need freezer space to freeze all this apple cider. So you, you have to think it through really carefully as to what you're doing, how many people, and then decide if you want to grow or decide if you're going to, if you're, if you even want to meet the needs of the community, it's okay to say no to community building. If you're maxed out, I talked to someone who was a forest school program director and he had moved into a program that was not his, he wasn't the founder and he got chosen to be the director. He's an awesome guy. And I remember he was talking to me about this, this last fall, he was just saying how the community keeps asking him, Hey, are you doing any community events? What, what community events are you doing? When can we do the, because I guess the previous director had done a number of things for the community, but he felt, Hey, we already have after school programs, we have day camps, we have summer camps, we have five different forest school programs going on. We have homeschooling groups. And he was just like, at the end of the day, I'm maxed out. I don't have any more bandwidth in my personal energy or time or anything. And I have my own family to do anything more than what I'm currently doing. And so he's Ricardo, what do you do? What do you do about that? And I'm like, you say no. <laughs> and, and if the community really wants to do those things, the community can find its own way because guess what? There's farms and there's other people and other groups that can organize that if it's something that they really want to do. The problem was that because they associated that organization with having had these really special things, he felt like they were, you know, expecting him and probably he still does. And it's okay to just really carefully explain that. I said, just you don't have to say no in a harsh way or anything, but just to say, hey, you know what, I'm, I, I'm not sure how these other programs really happened based on how much work it is. But just explain that and then just be open to the fact that, hey, maybe there's a few people that will come together and maybe want to try to duplicate some things. But you don't have to do that. You don't have to be everything. It's enough what you're doing working as a forest preschool or working as a homeschooling group or working as a 
summer camp in the summer after school, whatever, like all of those things, man, it is exhausting. It is exhausting doing those things. I remember going, driving, I'd get in my car at one o'clock, drive for two hours sometimes to a school in my local area. I'd get there, it'd be like three o'clock, the kids have just gotten it. I'd walk into a cafeteria that the kids are just screaming at the tops of their lungs, yelling, talking, shouting, crawling on the floor, doing the backstroke in the cafeteria, eating their snack. And just some kids are like working on their homework and other kids are pulling each other's hair. It's like a animal house or something. And they're all like wonderful kids. And then I have to take my group, go into the library and then do some cool activity or craft or go outside on the play field. And then boom, all of a sudden it's five, uh, five o'clock or four, four forty-five, and the buses are coming and like, we're wrapping everything up and then I'm back. And all of a sudden it's five o'clock and I'm in my car and it's been two hours or so. And I'm just writing, I'm doing my reporting for that program. And I'm just like going, what the heck just happened? I feel like I just had an eight hour day in two hours. And now I get to drive home for two hours and whatever, listen to NPR or listen to a book on audio, audiobook or something. And it's interesting because it just, at the end of that day, I'm wiped out. And yes, I did some work in the morning before I had to go, but it is, it's intense. It's really intense, especially when you're working with 20 kids or whatever, and you're just having to think of everything and set the stage and do all that. So you, even though the production of the thing was only two hours, everything was on me. It's not like a theater show where I went, hey, I'm doing a one-man show for two hours at my local theater. But I also have somebody doing the lights and I have somebody ushering the kids, people into the show. And I've got somebody at the ticket booth and I've got somebody selling popcorn and I've got a crew backstage that's helping me with my props or whatever. Like you're by yourself. You have everything. You're doing everything on your own. All good. I'm not complaining, but it's exhausting. So I'm telling you, if you're doing that and doing your best to have a really good experience for the children, it's not necessarily your job that you have to also then do something for all the kids and all the families and all the everyone else in the community. No. You don't, especially if it's like unpaid and they just want it. And you're like, hey, you know what? I have no more to give at this moment. I've got to recharge. I've got to go home. I got to do my laundry. I got to take care of my kids. I got to do some, I got to plan what we're going to do this weekend in addition to everything else. So please, 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 I hope I'm making it 100% crystal clear. Do these things if you're able to and if have the bandwidth and you have support and you it's okay to ask for help it's okay to ask a lot of people and say hey i really want to do this evergreen spiral hey i really want to do a solstice thing i really want to do a a work day a tree plant whatever it is even if you're just like getting a whole load of wood chips dropped off in one of your play areas so that it covers a, a, fills in some mud holes or something. Just invite people over, man. <laughs> Figure it out. But just make sure that you ha ask for help for doing these things. And and I think you'll find that it's it's a pretty awesome experience. But just really, really, really be realistic about your capacity. Okay. You want more bandwidth free for you to be more creative 
and be everything else. When you, when your bandwidth gets really, really, really tight, it's super stressful. And then that impacts your programs, the quality, everything, stress, all that. It's really bad for you. So <laughs> keep that in mind. One of the problems that I always saw, and I've lived in a few different communities where, you know, especially like around a Waldorf school, you have a, a group of teachers that are in community that are, you know, there's a whole community that kind of pops up around a Waldorf school because there's all these parents and then you have all the faculty and you have all the faculty uh, kids and families and you have the people that work at the school and then you have any other school related businesses like a little store or a bakery or whatever. All those people that are part of that are part of this greater community and Man, having been part of some of those things, it's the people are all wonderful, but I have sat through a lot of meetings in which I wish I could get those 200 hours back because it was just hell. Uh, I, I hate to say it, but sometimes you just go through this thing where you're like talking and talking and arguing about what light bulbs you're going to have in the new building and all the things that are just like somebody else can make that decision. We don't all need to sit here and agree on some of these things. And so there is a element of if you're part of some communities like that, again, there's advantages and disadvantages. So sometimes being able to make decisions around getting everybody on the same page, getting everybody to agree getting people to then, once they've agreed, re maybe reluctantly, how do you get them to then be positive participants, even though they didn't really want to be part of the making woolly gnomes team or whatever that they have to, they, maybe they don't want to be the ticket booth guy or the person who's going around telling kids not to drop trash or whatever. So you really just know that you can end up going down a lot of rabbit holes with community building. I have had issues where we have a meeting and then I'm rolling my eyes, not at anyone in particular, but just I'm like, hey, I'm, I'm 27 years old and you guys are driving me crazy. And then after the meeting, I have to have another meeting with three other people that were like, we don't think you were just, you were respectful of us. And I'm like, okay, now I'm not moving my eyes, but inside I'm rolling my eyes a thousand times because now I'm just like getting crazy because I'm having to like deal with people's emotional parts of things rather than doing what I really wanted to do, which is just to go do whatever the physical thing was to help the school. At the end of that session, I'm just like, I'm never working for the school ever again. I'm not going to ever help them for any reason because you guys are driving me crazy. That's a very immature position to be in and an immature response because I was young and I was immature. And so that meeting was a meeting that I probably shouldn't have been invited to. And the faculty that said, hey, you should come to this meeting probably at later on went, yeah, that was a bad idea. So maybe they were learning something too. So you want to be really careful. What The pitfall of a community experience is that sometimes I've known people who run a wilderness school who will then say, oh, when the school needs something, when the program needs something, we all need to pitch in because it's a community. But then when the community goes, hey, we really want uh, this and this, then the school turns around and goes, oh, you have to pay for that because it's a business. And so 
you got to decide which is which. If you're a business that's doing community building work, you just want it to be clear because I know people that would donate time and time and time to helping like a nature school just grow and do well. And they believed in it and they loved it and it fed them and they were so happy. But then anytime they ever asked for anything in return, the people that were running it were like, well, it's a business. So you're going to have to pay full price for whatever. And meanwhile, somebody goes, I have put in $5,000 of my own time. I've rented equipment for you. I've done all this stuff. And all it would have taken was for them to just go, hey, let's have this person go for free. Hey, do, hey, Joe, you or Susan or whatever, you've done so much. Please attend this class for free. We're not taking your money. You just work so hard. We love you. We re really appreciate you. When you turn around and go, oh, it's a business, therefore, boom, cough it up. That's when that person, when you take somebody that's one of your very top best fans and crush them, it's bad. Don't do that. Don't do that. If you're doing community stuff and people are really coming out of the woodwork to help, you have to make sure that the more you're getting from them, that you're giving back. And I don't mean that everybody has to come for free, but you know the difference of what I'm talking about, I think. So be aware that is a big pitfall and that will spread because then I know people who are still mad about something that happened 20 years ago. And if I happen to be driving through some rural place and I meet somebody from that program, they will sit there, I'll be in the middle of a store trying to buy something and they'll just be like, and then this happened and it wasn't right. And I'm like, yeah, dude, that was 20 years ago. You got to let it go. But it's like, they can't let it go because it was such a, it was really painful for them. I'm just warning you, please do not mistake, make the mistake of thinking that oh, it's a community when I need something and when they need something, it's a business. Please, that is, is just really bad. And you will end up struggling in other ways, even though you might think, I got to have my boundaries and I got to, we got to charge what I'm worth or whatever. Yeah, all of that, whatever. But you really have to be careful about the message and the clarity and the reciprocal relationship. And these things are really goes go two ways. And when somebody really loves what you're doing, they will give and give. And so please just give back, please give back. And I'm not saying you have to give them $10,000 and an eagle feather or something. I'm just saying even something small that says we really appreciate and do what you can, do what you can, but really recognize those people that really love you and take that seriously. Really important. So one of the elements that I'm just going to end or close with here is to say that when you're choosing people that you're going to work with as volunteers in a community building event, it's really important for you to ask yourself, and, and in the moment you might just go, oh yeah, you can help, you can be part of this whole thing because you just need help and you're overwhelmed. Please don't be overwhelmed. Take a minute and then look at that person and talk to them, connect with them, and feel out. You don't need to say yes immediately to anyone. And what I want you to do is to think, are they a little bit flaky? Are they reliable? Are they someone who, when you set a boundary or you say, hey, I need you to get me this by this day deadline, 
Do they call up and go, hey, I can't do it because blah, blah, blah? Or do they they get it to you right away? Are they motivated? Are they reliable? Are they able to take care of business and communicate effectively? And are they in a position to help in a way where they're not also impacting their family? I remember somebody once came out and was like volunteering all the time with our program. And I remember going, this is going to be a problem. And other people in the program were like, no, they're great. She's great. Don't worry. It's no big deal. And I was like, no, this person has a family. They've got a lot of stuff going on. They got their own garden. They got all these things happening. I really don't think that this person, this could go sideways. And it turned out that it did cause a lot of problems for this person individually because she was putting so much energy into being part of our community and helping our community that her kids, her garden, her relationship, her family, her household, they were starting to suffer because she wasn't able, she was taking her eye off the ball on those things. And so then it created problems. And then all of a sudden, six months later, we were like, hey, would you want to help with something? Oh, I can't help with you guys anymore. Everybody's mad at me and I got to deal with this. And that was the end of that person's like volunteering career with a lot of what we do, even though it was a wonderful match in terms of who that person was and what they loved about what we did. Like that's still strong, but overdo it. So we don't have to let other people overdo it. We can make sure that we don't ask those people to help. And and then we can say, no, I don't need you all day. I just need you for 10 minutes or one hour in the morning or something. Help protect yourself by help protecting the people who are wanting to support you. If there's somebody there who's like a little bit flaky or flaky is like the wrong term. If there's just somebody who's really busy or they overcommit or they get excited about stuff and then get distracted or whatever, like that's fine. Just don't put them in positions where it's going to cause you to have to get up and fill their position. So just put them in non-critical uh, parts of your event, okay? That's my best advice. So community building, get out there, do it, but just know there are some pitfalls. Go in with your eyes wide open, make good decisions, don't overextend, and I hope that you get all the benefits of it because it's really wonderful when it is done right and it can really make a difference for everybody involved, including you. All right, we'll see you all next week. Take care. Thanks for listening to today's episode and for all the things that you do to help build a world that is connected to nature. You can get access to the bonus episodes, my forest educator nature journals and curriculum, as well as other useful content by subscribing to my Patreon page where you can support us at any level. You can find the link in the show notes for that and my website and social media as well. And I will see you outside.